Have you noticed how popular zombies are in this country? I'm serious. Have you noticed this? Zombie toys. It's like the last three to five years. Zombie toys, zombie movies, zombie games, zombie everything. Have you seen this? And maybe this past Friday you even saw an extraordinary amount of zombie as maybe some smaller zombies came up to your door and asked you for candy. Zombie everything. There's even a TV show. Have you heard of this show? It's called The Walking Dead. They're in their fifth season. Ratings are skyrocketing, and they're in their fifth season. I mean, how much writing can you do about zombies? You know, dead bodies that get up and chase all the good guys around. And they're in their fifth season, going strong. This morning, I want to talk to you about some zombies. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you that the world is actually... Biblically speaking, full of zombies. And forget just, you know, the world out there, that's easy. Erie is full of zombies. Now I'll get really personal. In a crowd this size this morning, there may be some of you here who are spiritual zombies. If there's any kids here this morning, they just really started listening. This guy's going to preach about zombies? Let's talk about zombies. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. Paul is writing to his beloved church. The church in Ephesus, and and even more than that, this letter was probably circulated beyond just Ephesus. He writes to these beloved saints, these brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this section of the letter, he reminds them of the way it used to be. Before God saved them, before they came to to Christ, he reminds them of the way it used to be. This is what he says. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. You followed the ways of this world. Paul tells the saints in Ephesus, and by extension, because this is the inspired word of God, he comes to us, the church, and he says, remember... Remember before, remember you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Specifically, what Paul does not say is that remember you were sick in your transgressions and sins. He doesn't say you were ensnared in your transgressions and sins. He doesn't say that you struggled in your transgressions and sins. We know from the rest of the Bible those are all true statements. But specifically here, he says remember... Spiritually speaking, you were dead before God saved you. You were a spiritual zombie, he says. You were dead. And then he goes on to describe what being spiritually dead actually looks like. Verse 2. 
He says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. This was a way of life. Being dead was a way of life. Kind of shocking. When you followed the ways of this world. Many of you have come to know Christ. You can remember back to your old life. What was it like when you were spiritually dead? Well, you just followed the world. The river of the world was flowing along, and you were part of it, and you just followed the world. What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, sin is common to man. It's been the same stuff since God made Adam and Eve. What does following the world look like? You chase the things the world chased, trying to gain satisfaction out of them. Money, sex, power, influence, notoriety, stuff, relationships. Paul says, this was you. You were dead, spiritually dead. You just went with the flow. And then he says the most peculiar thing. Followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul, and he's speaking about Satan. He's talking about the devil, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He says, you were spiritually dead and you went with the flow of the world. And in going with the flow of the world... You were following the ways of the devil himself. You were following Satan. Think about your old life. You were following Satan before God saved you. The catch is, most of us didn't even know it. I was just going along. I was just following the things everybody else follows. I was just going along through life, following the course of this world. Paul says, well, you were following Satan. You were actually following his ways. Satan is crafty. This works to his advantage. The fact that you can be serving him and not even believe in him. What a great trick. There's this line from this movie from 15 or 20 years ago. It's called The Usual Suspects. The basic premise of the movie is there's this guy named Kaiser Soze. And the police are trying to catch him. And he is the arch criminal. And it's kind of like, well, he's half legend and half real. No one's ever seen him. They hear stories about him. Is it real? And they're trying to catch this guy. The police are on to him. And so they're bringing in these criminals who they think have been involved in some of Kaiser Soze's plans. And the police detectives are interviewing them, trying to figure out who this guy is. Is he real? Is this all just a big story? What's going on? One of the criminals they bring in into the detective's office has some really special inside information on Kaiser Soze. He's got an in. And at one point in the conversation, he has this great line. He leans over 
And he looks at the police detective, and he says, Detective, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's a good line. I think it has one foot in truth, doesn't it? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Paul says, you were dead spiritually. You went with the the, the flow, the course of the world. You followed Satan. Maybe you didn't even know it. And then verse 3, he says, all of us. Now he changes the pronoun. See, this isn't the Apostle Paul saying, you petty Gentile Christians, you, you know. He's saying, me too. And Paul was a zealous Jewish guy. I mean, there couldn't be anyone more religious than Paul. Paul says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Many times when this subject of spiritual death comes up, When someone starts saying, especially from a passage like this, although it's everywhere in Scripture, starts saying, well, before you came to Christ, you were, spiritually speaking, you were a rotting, stinking corpse in the sight of God. You were dead. A lot of times people have a problem with that. And they go, well, what about free will? I mean, what about my choice and doing what I wanted? Because don't I have a pretty big part to play in all this? And it's a good question. I think spiritually speaking, Paul says what he says. He says, you were dead, not sick. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. There's nothing good in you. You had no spiritual life in you. But if by free will you mean, did you do what you wanted to do? Paul answers it right here. Yeah, you were doing what you wanted to do. Part of being spiritually dead is doing what you wanted to do. What did you do? Well, we lived among them at one time. What did we do? We gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. God didn't have to put a gun to our head to make us sin, it was very natural. We wanted to sin. And even if we weren't as bad as we could be, every part of us was infected. We were dead. Spiritually, we were dead. And then Paul says, and this is the big bomb that he drops on them. And remember, he's writing the church. He's speaking to the church. And sometimes you read this and you go, is he just trying to get them to have a really bad day? Reminding them about all this stuff? Like, this is dark. Gets darker, the end of verse 3. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. He says, this was the natural course of things. We just did what we wanted, and we went with the course of the world, and we followed Satan, even if we didn't believe in him. We were tricked. And the end result of all this, 
just naturally, is that at the end, God, the sovereign God of this book, the God of the Bible, was going to pour out his judgment and his wrath on us, ultimately in a place called hell. Paul is speaking about deserving the wrath of God, and he says, this just comes naturally. Our father Adam plunged us into sin. Proof of that is asking yourself this question. Did you have to teach your kids how to sin? Do you have to, I have kids. Did you have to sit them down and be like, this is what I want you to do. I want you to disobey, be disrespectful. I want you to fight. I want you to covet your buddy's toys and fight them for them. I want you to lie and make idols and serve them. And I want you to just generally be miserable and always look out for yourself. Did you have to teach any of your kids this? I didn't. I mean, it just came naturally. And just turn it in on yourself. My parents didn't have to teach me any of this stuff. I just did it. I wanted to do it. It was natural. And Paul says, the end of this is the wrath of God. Sometimes when I talk to people in the church, I get this impression. They don't like the word wrath. And it's kind of like this sense where they go, well, wrath and judgment and holiness is something about God in the Old Testament. He was really ticked off in the Old Testament. Really mad. But now Jesus has come, and basically he's just trying to give everybody a hug and be emotionally supportive. Have you you've heard this kind of thing? Of course, this couldn't be further from the truth because our Lord himself came as a preacher. And don't take my word for it, but if you read the Gospels, Jesus preached all the time. What were some of his favorite topics? The wrath of God, the coming judgment, the destruction of the evil, the holiness of God. Jesus preached about this stuff all the time. Go read the Gospels. And again, I'm serious. Don't take my word for it. Jesus talked more about wrath and hell way more than he ever did about heaven. Paul is following in the steps of his Lord. The apostles, they preached the same way. And if you want to go really big picture, Moses talked like this, David talked like this, all the prophets talked like this leading up to Jesus. And then Jesus came and talked like this. And make no mistake, I don't say this stuff lightly. This is bad news. I call this the bad news of the gospel. And you go, well, wait a second, gospel means good news, so how, you know, that doesn't make any sense. This is the bad news of the gospel. And here it is in summary form. We were dead, spiritually speaking. We had no life in us. We were spiritual zombies, and we were born into this world in such a state that we are naturally the objects of God's holy wrath. And this culminates in hell. And now, Paul will move on to the gospel and praise God that this is not the end of the story. Verse 4, what God is doing like a fine jeweler 
who crafts a beautiful diamond ring. What does God do? He gives us the gospel of His Son, but He doesn't put it on display. He doesn't, you know, He doesn't throw it on a piece of copy paper and say, see, there you go. Isn't it beautiful? Look at that ring. He doesn't do that. And He doesn't stick it on a piece of cardboard and say, look, there's my son. There's the gospel. What does He do? He goes and He gets the blackest piece of velvet He can find. The darkest, most opaque thing you can imagine. Like a fine jeweler, God sets the gospel on that. Then he shines the light of his glory on it. And then you look at it and you go, wow! The light refracts on that, ba- on that black velvet. Oh, man. Look at how bright this thing is. Look at how glorious this is. That's exactly what God has done for us. Now's the good news, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, Paul does not say, because God loved us. He says, because of the great, the big love for us. God, who is rich in mercy. Again, he doesn't say God, who just happens to be merciful. He says, God, who is wealthy in mercy. He's loaded What did he do? Verse 5. He made us alive with Christ. Do you see the contrast? You were a dead, rotting corpse in the sight of God. And what did God do? He made you alive with Christ. And when did he do it? In our own sinfulness, we like to think He did it when we as spiritual zombies were laying there and then somehow we mustered something in ourselves. You know, we made the zombie noise and we went, and we reached out. No. When did He make us alive? When we were dead in transgressions. Paul says, it is by grace, the unmerited favor, the unmerited goodness of God, you have been saved. Spiritual death in the Scriptures, and it's not just here, but spiritual death in the Scriptures makes the second birth necessary. If you get one thing this morning, hear this. Spiritual death makes the second birth necessary because we needed a new life, not a better dead one. And we needed recreated, not made over. We didn't need a makeover. We needed to be recreated in Christ Jesus. The gospel is not that as sinners we have a flu and God comes to us with a cup of hot tea and a warm blanket and says, here, this will help. This will will soothe. This will help. Hopefully you'll feel better. And the gospel is not 
that we have a severely broken leg, spiritually speaking, and God comes to us and He hands us a crutch named Jesus and He says, here you go. This is going to make it a lot better. You're going to be able to get through life easier. Take the crutch. You see, the gospel is radical. The gospel is, though you were dead, now he made you alive. And our Lord talked about this radical nature of this transformation that has to take place. This transformation from spiritual life to spiritual death. Jesus talked about this. Turn with me quickly to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm sure it's familiar to you. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. John 3, 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and some commentators will say, well, because he was ashamed to be seen with Jesus, maybe. Anyway, he came at night and said, Rabbi, which just means teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. It's a credible statement. He kind of comes and he's very respectful. And he comes to Jesus with something on his heart, something on his mind that's bothering him. And he starts the conversation very respectfully. He says, we know you have to come from God because of your miracles. We see what you're doing. We see what's going on. I want to talk about that. Now look at Jesus' response. Jesus, who is the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Godhead, the God-man, sees through all the formality, and he knows Nicodemus' heart, and he gives Nicodemus a real answer. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We know this language. It's in the church everywhere. And it should be. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Nicodemus, verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus' objection is a good one, right? I mean, this guy just told him, you have to be born again. He says, surely this can't be. I can't get back into my mom, Jesus. And at this point, Nicodemus' mom is probably very old or dead. What are you talking about? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, and and pay attention to Jesus' answer. I hear people use this terminology about being born again, and it comes from this passage. But oftentimes what I hear, 
I want to I ask people, did you hear what Jesus said about this? Listen to this answer. It's profound. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And then he says this, flesh gives birth to flesh. Nicodemus, your physical body was born from your mom. Flesh gives birth to flesh. He says, but the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, gives birth to what? Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What an answer. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be birthed again. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born They can't go back into their mom. And Jesus' answer is profound. You know what? Every other false religion in the world, do you know how they answer Nicodemus' question? They answer Nicodemus' question this way. They say, no, 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 you got this, Nicodemus. Here's a list. Ten self-help rules to being born again. Every other religion, what must I do? This sounds impossible. The answer is, don't worry, you can do it. It's right here. Here's the list. And Jesus does not come back to Nicodemus and say, no, Nicodemus, see, this is a highly intensely, an intensely theological issue. He doesn't say, see, you're just missing theological step number three. Of course you can be, you can birth yourself again. Jesus goes the polar opposite way and starts talking about the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say, you got this, Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, as surely as your mom gave birth to your physical body, the Holy Spirit has to give birth to you spiritually again. You must be born again. It's really a striking answer. And Jesus' answer is the only answer like this. And it's the only right answer. He doesn't say, you got this, here's the list. He says, Nicodemus, God has to do this. And he says, it's the the Holy Spirit. He goes wherever he wants. He's like the wind. You see what he's doing. You hear the leaves rustle. You know it's real, but you don't know where he is. And he doesn't say, and here's a leash, Nicodemus. You can hook this on the Holy Spirit. And you can just make him do what you want. He says, the Spirit gives life. You have to be born again. Show of hands. How many of you, physically speaking, decided to be born? You know, you you have this testimony about your birth. It's like, it was very dark. I heard another heartbeat. It was comforting. Living quarters started to get cramped. 
And so on March 29th, I decided I'm going to be born. That's not how it happens. Jesus is saying, just as surely as your mom had you, your physical body, the Holy Spirit has to recreate you, Nicodemus. You need raised to spiritual life. You need recreated. You need a new life. You have to start over as a spiritual baby. And this is not one of those neat stories where everything gets resolved and wrapped up in a tight bow. Nicodemus, verse 9, just says, How can this be? He asked. Unless you grasp the bad news of the gospel, that you were dead, that you were a rotting, stinking corpse in the sight of a holy God, that you were following Satan, even though maybe you didn't believe in him, that you were willfully choosing to sin all the time. If you don't realize how bad it was, you can never really fully realize how good it is. Because the gospel is the greatest news the world has ever heard. And this is just one little facet of the diamond. The fact that you were dead and Christ made you alive. Didn't give you a blanket and a cup of tea. God Almighty came to a dead corpse and He said, Get up and live. And the Spirit of God raised you to new life in Christ. And you were born again. And all the benefits. You move from justly deserving the wrath of God in hell, not just to some okay position. Become a child of the King. And He says, your sins are gone. You've been raised to life. I put My Spirit in you. You've believed on Christ. Call Me Father forever. There's a famous songwriter who just really nailed the truth that we're dealing with here this morning. This songwriter, I guarantee you will not find his name or any words he ever wrote in any hymnal you will ever buy. And you may find his name in a couple of contemporary worship songbooks, maybe, but not many of them would have him in there. But this man, an American poet and artist, wrote this song. Bob Dylan wrote this song. It's called Saved. I couldn't think of any better expression of the glory being raised to new life. Dylan says, I was blinded by the devil born and already ruined, stone-cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By His grace I have been touched. By His word I have been healed. By His hand I've been delivered. By His Spirit I've been sealed. 
And the course is really simple and it's really wonderful. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, saved by the blood of the Lamb, saved, saved, and I'm so glad. Yes, I'm so glad. Well, I'm so glad, so glad. I want to thank you, Lord. Want to thank you, Lord. Want to thank you, Lord. By His truth, I can be upright. By His strength, I do endure. By His power, I've been lifted. In His love, I'm secure. He bought me with a price, freed me from the pit, full of emptiness and wrath and the fire that burns in it. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, saved by the blood of the Lamb. He goes on and on, saved, saved. I'm so glad. I'm just so glad. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Nobody to rescue me. Nobody would dare. I was going down for the last time, but by His mercy... I've been spared, not by works, but by faith in Him who called. For so long I've been hindered, for so long I've been stalled, but I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb, saved, saved. And I'm so glad. All right, I'm so glad, so glad. I want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he just goes on and on. Could there be any more appropriate response to the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? That though we were dead, yet now we are alive. Many of you here this morning have been born again of the Spirit. But you know what? Whether you've been walking with Christ for 70 years or you've been walking with Him one day, you were converted yesterday, we need the Gospel preached to us over and over again. Because we forget, don't we? I mean, I do every morning. I forget that it was that bad And I forget that it's this good. I mean, really? Remember what it was and what it was from that Christ saved you. That when you were dead, he brought you to life. There are some of you here this morning, I'm guessing, who don't know him. You may have come to church many times. This morning may be the first time you've ever been in a church. But it wouldn't surprise me to know that there are some, even sitting here, who are dead in trespasses and sin. You're just going with the flow of the world. You're chasing what the world chases. You're loving what the world loves. And you may think that Satan was just, you know, he's just a fairy tale. Without even knowing it, you're serving him. Willfully doing what God told you not to. You're dead. A spiritual zombie. But praise God, he has commanded that this good news be preached to every man, woman, and child from now until the time he returns. Could it be that God would bring another 
dead spiritual corpse to life. Even today, can. There's a couple hundred people in this room who can tell you, man, he did it for me. I know him. Maybe God, for the first time, is opening your eyes and opening your ears. And if He is, I want to pray for you in just a second. Before we do, I want to close with just a passage from John, the same Gospel, John chapter 6. A passage that has brought me more comfort through the years of my journey with Christ. And you don't have to turn there. Just listen as I read. John chapter 6, verse 37, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And listen, listen. You've never come to Him. Listen. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus has not broken that promise one time in 2,000 years. And the call goes out to the ends of the earth. Believe in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and He'll save you. Come to Him. He'll never drive someone away who comes in faith. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none, not one, I shall lose none of all those He has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. You were dead gives you, He gives me life, the body and the soul. I will raise them up at the last day.